Welcome back, everybody, to this week's episode of the Heavy Branches Podcast. I'm Jacob. And I'm Tanner. And we're so excited to dive into Luke chapter 13 with you today. But before we do that, Tanner, how was your week, man? My week's been good. Um, you know, it's Thanksgiving week. Got the chance to, well, first of all, Sunday night we had a like a Thanksgiving banquet at church, and that was good, good fellowship time. Um, I got sick that night, actually, but the fellowship was still good. Too much turkey or... I, I had a bad headache for some reason, but then uh, the week went on, um, got some stuff done at the office, and then Thanksgiving, you know, today's, the day that we're recording this is Thanksgiving, so today I got to see a lot of my family, and um, that was really nice, I'll see more family on Saturday when this drops, uh, I have another Thanksgiving, so that'll be nice, Um but overall, pretty good day, pretty good week. How about you? Good. Uh, yeah, it was a it was pretty relaxing week. Um, a week thinking about trying to be more intentional about being thankful for things and having gratitude. <clears throat> uh, t- this past Sunday was the first Sunday in like five or six weeks or so that I didn't preach somewhere. So I was back at uh, my home church, which was good to see some people there again that I hadn't seen in a while and be back there. Um, but so we, we haven't actually celebrated Thanksgiving yet um, with our families, at least and my, my family. So normally we have kind of two get togethers, well, one with mom's side and one with dad's side, dad's side. And uh, my mom's parents got COVID. And so they're getting over that and, and they're fine. They're not really too sick. They just didn't want to spread it. And then my grandparents on my dad's side, my grandpa has been in the hospital recovering from a surgery. Uh, it was nothing too major uh, from what I understand. And he's I visit, I went out and visited him today. That's good. Uh, so he, he's doing a lot better, hoping to be able to come home tomorrow morning. And then we'll try to celebrate with him either Saturday or, or Sunday, uh, just depending on when everyone can get to their house and, and be ready to have Thanksgiving. So we actually haven't had any Thanksgiving meals or, or family time yet. Uh, but other otherwise, it's been good. So we want to remind you, as usual, to mark your calendar. Uh, just real quick, LBC module, uh, the class is on Origins. It's coming up upon us real quick here, December 1st and 2nd. That is a Friday, Saturday, and it's uh, if you want more information on that, uh, you can contact one of us and and we'll either tell you what information you need or get you contacted to somebody. That's that can, next weekend, isn't it? Yep, it's it's That's right around the corner. Close. I just got a, a a fresh Bible to start my master's degree with. Oh yeah. So NASB. Again? Oh yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and then uh, January fifteenth is going to be the start of the Louisville Bible College semester. And then the other thing that we've been talking about is the person to person leadership seminar taught by. Jeff Fall, it's going to be January 11th and 12th, and if you want more information on that or anything about person-to-person, go to the website p2pm.org, p, the number two, pm.org. And that leadership seminar is going to be up in close to Mason, Ohio, right? Uh, is what I, I tell. It's, it's farther north. It's... Uh, for some reason, the name Coeur d'Alene is in my mind, but I don't think that's right. But it's uh, it's farther north, northeast. I think Coeur d'Alene is in Idaho. 
Maybe it is. It's far. <laughs> it's farther there. northeast. It's actually only like forty five minutes from where my dad lives, um, but I can't remember the name of the spot that it's actually in. Um, but it, we can figure it out on the website. Yeah. Anyway, um, so before we get started with our our normal routine here, I have a question for you, Jacob. Oh, okay. It has been requested of us that we do more games. And I don't think we. I think we've done one since we started the podcast. Yeah. The uh, can you guess if it's a worship, a worship song or if it's a a secular love song? What's well, the one I I I have a game for you. I want to know. So I, I looked it up earlier. The five most, um, the five most popular Thanksgiving desserts. Okay. And I want to see if you can name the five most popular Thanksgiving desserts. In in America, in the U.S., the five like the whole U.S. most popular desserts. Well, pumpkin pie's got to be on there. That's number one. Uh, pecan pie's got to be on there. That's number three. Hmm. Are they just? Are there a bunch of different pies? Am I allowed to ask that? Uh, one more of them is a pie. What other pie? It's not like chess pie, is it? What do you, what even is that? Chess pie? Yeah, what is that? <laughs> it's like I, how do I describe it? It's like it's like very sweet. I don't know if I've even seen that. Maybe I have. It's like it's got like it's, it's like, not it's that. like yellow. I don't know. It's not that though. Chocolate pie? No. I'm just shooting in the dark. I don't know. Okay. So um hold on. All right. Let's see. Let me let me think a little more. I'll give you four more guesses. For the other three. Okay. I didn't know this was coming, so I had no premeditated <laughs> thought into this. One of the one of them I feel is very random. Like for Thanksgiving. You're not counting like uh like sweet potato casserole with that brown sugar stuff on the top, right? No. That's kinda like a dessert. That stuff's good. It kind of is, but, but. um mm. I'm surprised you haven't said your favorite dessert. That's not one of them, My but my favorite dessert. Yeah. The f- your favorite dessert your mom makes. That's not a Thanksgiving dessert, though. No, but I'm surprised you haven't said it. Okay. I'm tapping out. I I don't the o- the only like Thanksgiving desserts that I can think of that are like always at Thanksgiving is pumpkin stuff, which is why I said pumpkin pie, and then pecan pie. Okay, so I don't know. Number one is pumpkin pie. Number two is apple pie. Number three is pecan pie. And then you have chocolate chip cookies, which is the one that I felt was like kind of. I don't think I've. I don't think in my <laughs> 23 years of life I've ever had chocolate chip cookies served at a Thanksgiving get together. The fifth one is fruit cake, which I've heard people like and eat and make for Thanksgiving, but I've literally never seen one. I'm pretty the- sure the only desserts that have been at Thanksgiving it, that I've been at is pecan pie, pumpkin pie, and then my grandma makes this thing called pumpkin tort. Have you had that before? I've heard of it. seen it, but I don't know if I've tried it. It's like uh, think of pumpkin pie. But underneath the pumpkin layer and above the bottom of the crust is like a, uh, it's not just cream cheese, but it's kind of like a cream cheese whipped cream filling thing. Um, Really good. So I I have one more interesting thing that I think you will will like. Okay. What is your favorite dessert? What is my favorite dessert? That your mom makes. That my mom makes? You've talked about it several times. 
There's a, there's a few that are really high up there. She makes this um, the strawberry dessert that is like strawberry shortcake, but in it's not a it's like in a bowl. So it's like the the vanilla pudding filling, strawberries, whipped cream, and little angel food cake bites. But she also there's really three things she makes that I really like. Uh, and then there's uh, red velvet cake, which I love. But she also makes a really good butterscotch pie. Those are my top three. You didn't name the thing I thought you were gonna name. What did you think? The peanut butter pie. My mom hasn't made peanut butter pie. Honestly, I can't even remember the last time she made it. Well, I, I made it back in the day. What I found was interesting is Kentucky's number one Thanksgiving dessert is peanut butter pie. What? That's not a... That's, I, that's Either that. my family is just weird or that's not a Thanksgiving <laughs> dessert. <laughs> Have you ever had that at your Thanksgiving? I had it today. I had two slices of peanut butter pie so today. We but ha- I was also in Ohio. Which <laughs> you you guys, for your math class in high school, did pie day, right? Where, uh, uh, on March 14th, yeah, where yeah. you all bring in pies. So where you're thinking of the peanut butter pie is, is back when I was in, did we do that in Algebra 2 or Geometry? Uh, we did it in, in Algebra and Calculus. I didn't take, I took pre-cal, but I didn't yeah. take Calculus. Pre-cal is, yeah. Whatever class we did pie day for, I made a peanut butter pie with an Oreo cookie crust. Now, I'm not a baker, but that pie was delicious. I'm so th- that's, wh- that's where thinking, you're thinking of that. I think I thought the butterscotch pie was peanut butter pie. Yeah, the butterscotch but, pie, I, I'm, I'm a big butterscotch fan, so well, that I'll tear sense. that up. That stuff is good. But anyway, that's our that's our game for at least this podcast, maybe for a while. <laughs> we'll see. But Luke 13, this is a, a short chapter for Luke. There's well, hold on. I got to know what your favorite Thanksgiving, or not Thanksgiving, what yours, what's your favorite dessert? My favorite Thanksgiving dessert? No, or not favorite dessert, in, dessert general? in general. Uh, does candy count? I feel like that's not a dessert. Candy is like something you buy and you snack on. Dessert is like something you make to eat after a meal. I typically am not a dessert guy. And part of the reason I'm not a dessert guy is because... Typically, peanut butter pie isn't around, but like peanut butter, any, anything peanut butter, I will, I will eat pretty much. Okay. So maybe peanut. butter I knew pie. you weren't going to say anything with fruit because you hate all fruit desserts, which really makes me sad. Yeah, but. like I do like pumpkin pie, but that's I don't know. That's almost like not a fruit dessert, even though it is. No, I don't think <laughs> I don't think pumpkins are a fruit. I, I think I they are. Really? <laughs> I don't know. We're getting way off track. Sorry. <laughs> anyway. All right. Luke chapter 13, 35 verses. It's a shorter one for him. The chapter title I have for this week is Entering the Kingdom. Um, that is the kingdom of God. Not only has that been the focus of Jesus' ministry, um, it's also very much the focus of this chapter as we go through it, um, whether it's entering it or or being a part of it, or... Remaining in it. Remaining in it, things to watch out for, uh, being part of the kingdom of God. Uh, lots, lots of focus on that. So let's hop into our key thoughts. I think <laughs> some people may read the first... Oh, I forgot to do this. Please read the chapter. <laughs> I always say that, but your weekly bit. Uh, yeah, we need to make sure that we're reading the chapter, and, and, it, it, and it's important. It is, um, 
but I think many people will read this first verse and be like, huh? Like maybe confused by it a little bit. Um, it is kind of out of nowhere, kind of a, a random thing that happens. But the point of it being brought up is really what follows. The point Luke is trying to share with us and the point Jesus was actually making when he said it and when the situation was happening is all about repentance. Repent to enter the kingdom. Um, and Jesus uses this circumstance of Pilate's cruelty um, with the with the Galileans, and he uses the circumstance of the tower falling on the uh, 18. He uses these two situations or circumstances to stress and teach on the necessity and the urgency of repentance in order to enter the kingdom of God. And then he follows it with a parable. Do you want to read that, or do you want me to Sure, read I'll read the parable. Okay. Uh, if you're wanting to follow along, it's starting in verse 6 and going through verse 9. <clears throat> and he began telling this parable, and this is Jesus uh, telling the parable. A man had a fig tree which had been planted in his vineyard, and he came looking for fruit on it and did not find any. And he said to the vineyard keeper, Behold, for three years I have come looking for fruit on this fig tree without finding any. Cut it down. Why does it even use up the ground? And he answered and said to him, Let it alone, sir, for this year too until I dig around it and put in fertilizer. And if it bears fruit next year, fine. But if not, cut it down. So, number one, we've talked about this before, but repentance is something that uh, people people struggle to understand at times, but it is an essential part of becoming a Christian and being a Christian. Um, and so Jesus talks about this and turns these situations into a time to teach his disciples or anyone listening, repent. Repenting is necessary. It is urgent. And then we get into this parable that he teaches, and it it ties in very well with the theme of, of the podcast, Bearing Fruit, in order to prove that we are one of his disciples. But... Let's really dissect this parable for a second. It's it's as though we are every every person is a tree that's been planted. And then we don't meet the expectations of God. And but now Jesus has come and Jesus is kind of like the fertilizer. But if we don't accept it and we continue not to bear fruit, and we refuse to repent and change our lives for good, then we're worthless. And I, I really think that's what he's getting at here. Yeah, when I read it, I thought back to Luke chapter 3. Uh, I, I believe it was verse 8 when John the Baptist was uh, talking to the Pharisees, and he told them to uh, bear fruit by keeping with repentance, I, I believe is how it's phrased. <clears throat> and, and the thought was, one of the ways that we bear fruit as as Christians is by keeping with repentance, and that 
the phrase keeping with it, it's, it gives this idea of it's an ongoing thing. It's not that you repent once when you are converted to Christ and then that's all the repenting that you'll ever do. But we continue to bear fruit by continually repenting. And we see here that the fig tree, if it wasn't going to bear any fruit, then it was going to be cut down. And uh, we'll, we'll see later in the chapter a little more imagery on, on what that will look like. And when, you're, when you really think about a tree, it, when an apple tree is... In it, when an apple tree, you know, is growing fruit for so long, but then it stops bearing fruit, the leaves don't grow back, it's a dead tree. At that point, it's worthless. Um, there's no point of it, as this says, taking up the ground when another tree that is alive could be taking that. So is our faith producing fruit and therefore alive and active, or is it not producing fruit and worthless? I th- and, and another kind of thought that I had from this too is we, we we see God's mercy here in this as well. It's not that the, the second we're found to be unfruitful, we just get cut down and we're thrown away. Um, but we, we have time to uh, dig around it and get the fertilizer in as, as the, the text was saying and, and give, give us, and we're given more time to bear fruit. And so it's it, that, that's another way I, I like to try to look at uh, God's mercy with us is it's not just not immediately punishing us from our sin. That is a, that is a part of it. But I think a, a part of mercy sometimes we forget about is once we've become a Christian, we're not always going to bear fruit every single day and live perfectly. And we're going to have to need mercy to to have uh, more opportunities to to live for Christ and live like him. Yeah. Yeah. Always, always seeking to be better and more like him. Then we get into what I believe is the second time that Jesus heals on the Sabbath day. Um, At least that the second time that it's recorded in Luke, and then he's going to do it again in the next chapter, which we'll cover next week. But the real emphasis here. And I feel like I've tried to stress this in the last couple podcasts, but the real emphasis is seeking the heart of God in order to be in the kingdom. Seeking the heart of God in order to be in the kingdom. Like I said, I've tried to stress this the last few podcasts, but our priority as people of Jesus Christ needs to be seeking the heart of God. And when we see the commands of God, let us not just see the command of God, but let us see the heart of the command based on the character of God. All of God's commands come from a, a, a part of his character. There is something, there is a heart to the command and why he expects something of us. And if we're just following commands almost blindly or without any consideration of it, that's not what God is expecting. And the Pharisees kind of, that's the trap they fell in. The Pharisees did not understand the heart of the Sabbath day, which is what Jesus is condemning them of here in because he heals the woman, and then they start condemning him for 
working on the Sabbath or doing more than he should on the Sabbath, but the Pharisees didn't understand the heart of the Sabbath. And the heart of the Sabbath was to rest in order to focus on the Lord, rest in the things that he has given them, and to find joy in that. And doing what is good on the Sabbath meets the heart of the command. Right. It is it is glorifying God, which at the very foundation of the day and what its purpose was, that's what it was. It was to rest and glorify rest in God and glorify him through that. So the Pharisees fell into this trap of being being picky about how many steps they took in the day, not focused on the heart of the command, which was glorifying God. And we even see in this little section where Jesus is talking about this in verse 15 and uh, following a little bit that the Pharisees, well, Jesus called them hypocrites for this, but the Pharisees were completely okay with uh, taking their donkey on the Sabbath and going to help them get some water. And there's this woman here that is... Uh, dealt with this demonic possession problem for what is it, eighteen years, and yeah, eighteen years that sickness was caused by the the demon, and she was bent over and couldn't straighten herself, and the, the Pharisees were so just out of bounds with how they followed this that they were okay with attending to their their donkey's needs and getting getting the donkey some water, but this woman that has had eighteen years of being trapped by this horrible sickness from this demon, they they didn't want Jesus to heal her. Yeah, and there's another circumstance where Jesus condemns them for, uh, it's either a donkey or a sheep, some kind of livestock. He condemns them and says, would you not help your, your livestock, whatever it was, out of a hole, but you can't see the the good, you, you won't do this good. You won't help another person, yeah. which is... Far, far more important and significant than helping your donkey out of a hole, or, like I said, whatever livestock it was. So, uh, the point of this for us, what our takeaway should be, is we need to seek the heart of God, and seek the heart of the commands that He's given us. Seek the heart of Christ, and in doing that, we are. We are bearing. We will bear fruit, and and we will so prove to be his disciples. Yeah, good stuff, man. Then after he gets so, kind of, it, the chapter goes on to the parables of the mustard seed and and leaven, and this is very much in response to the the calling out of the Pharisees that happens right before it. Um, and Jesus is expressing a he he's expressing a positive and a negative here. The positive is the kingdom of God is great. The kingdom of God, like the like the like the tree, which it, it grew and became a tree. It 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 sprouts. It grows, and that's what the kingdom of God will be like. That's how the church grew. Is It was it started small, it expanded, right. but this is also a warning. And some people, you know, go back and forth on that, but the 
one of the main reasons we know that this is a warning and that the birds of the air nested in the branches is is negative is that both of these parables are negative and the both the the mustard seed and the leaven the birds and the leaven are both negative and every time we see leaven used by Jesus or really any time in scripture it's always used as something negative and and that's pointing to this thing of evil false teachers evil people that have nested themselves if you to relate it to the the parable they have nested themselves within the kingdom of God in order to draw people away from God or push people out of of belief and it, it's really a warning because just before this parable Jesus taught the other another parable in the parable of the parable of the sower that if you remember the birds and the parable of the sower came down and took the took the seed from the ground before it could 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 take root and grow and so why would Jesus use birds in a negative light in his, in a parable that he taught and then just a little later go and and use the birds in a completely different way you would think that would be kind of confusing which is I, I believe kind of where we're coming from here with the the birds of the air nesting in its branches not being a a positive thing here the kingdom of god is great but like the pharisees Evil people, evil people nest in the kingdom, causing, causing problems. And, and so Jesus teaches that here in the parable of the mustard seed, and then the parable of the of the leaven, which is connected right after it, in verse twenty. And again, he said, "To what shall I compare the kingdom of God? It is like leaven, which a woman took and hid in three pecks of flour until it was all leavened." So it just took a little bit of leaven in it to then make the whole thing leavened. And so I, I wonder almost if Jesus is making this comparison to that's how false teaching works in a church. And and I've, I've certainly seen that happen on on multiple occasions. It just takes a, one, bird in, one bird in the nest, one one bad apple rottens the, rottens the bunch, one little bit of leaven makes the whole thing leavened. And, and that's what we see Jesus here connecting these two parables. That's why it's so important that we always go back to the Scripture that we rely and trust in this as the foundation of our faith. That's why we need to be very careful about how leadership is is chosen and placed in positions in the church to be sure that they are not people of pride that are more fond of what they think is right as opposed to what actually is right and we just need to be very cautious about this and and this all goes back to again the kingdom of God. That's how he starts this. What is the kingdom of God like? Well, the kingdom of God is great, but evil people are going to try to ruin the kingdom of God for others. Now, they will never thwart God's plans. They will never be able to destroy the kingdom of God, but they can draw people out of it. Right. And, you know, you're talking about this thing of it's important to have good leadership in a church to make sure this that birds don't nest and ruin the, the bunch, as we've always been talking about from these parables. I think that, I it, this may be a little speculation here, but I think that's why in the qualification for elders, it says that they ought to be able to teach. Because if you're able to teach the Bible, 
that means you've you've got to be able to discern between what's right and what's wrong. And we see elders. Uh, one one common word to to describe elders seen in the New Testament is shepherds. And well, part of the role and and job of a shepherd is to protect and care for the flock. Mm. And the the flock may not always know if they're gonna to get into some false teaching that's going to put a, a barrier between them and God, but a good shepherd is is going to be able to see that and protect the flock. So I, th- I think that's why we see one of the qualifications for elders, for shepherds of the church, talking about this idea of church leadership, is to be able to teach and to be able to, pr- to protect. That's definitely part of it, for sure. So moving past those parables, um, we continue on and I just wanted to highlight something here from from verse 22. It says, And he was passing through from one city and village to another, teaching and proceeding on his way to Jerusalem. I mean, the guy, Jesus has not stopped. <laughs> it's amazing the example that he sets for us, and I think this is something that maybe we look past or don't consider but it's amazing the zeal and the drive that Jesus had he is constantly about his mission and i mean even when he's resting even when he rests and removes himself so that he can go pray it's it is still for the accomplishment of his mission. That's that's where his mind is always at. And I can't say that I'm the same way. And I also can't say that that's okay. Hmm. Um, yeah. I, I, I read that and I, I immediately began to admire that about him. And as I admired it as... Often when you're admiring something about Jesus, you realize your own flaws. Yeah. And there's just so often where I get very easily distracted by things or I get lazy. Um, and, you know, there, there's got to be a balance there because, so, I mean, we just got done talking about in this chapter and in a previous one recently about the Sabbath and about how it was made for us to have a, a rest time to reconnect with God. And so when you're doing ministry, whether you do full-time ministry like like Tanner and I are are doing and have done or whether you have a like a secular job but you every Christian's a minister and ought to be serving, so you're still doing ministry. There there's got to be a balance between always being about your mission but also having a time to kind of rest and refuel cuz I've been there before where you're just going and going and going and you're so depleted that you have nothing left to pour out into people, which is a big part of what ministry is. And so we've got to find this balance between being about our mission, but also not overworking ourselves to the point to where we're just useless anyways. Yeah, being being about your mission includes allowing your faith, your own faith to grow and allowing yourself to rest in God and although you aren't maybe talking to somebody about the gospel you are you are rejuvenating yourself so that you can be able so that you're able to do that right um, and we see Jesus doing that 
so perfectly. <laughs> I mean, I, I appreciate you pointing that out there in verse 22. And he was passing through from one city and village to another, teaching and proceeding on his way to Jerusalem. That's uh, typically for me, that's kind of just always been a throwaway verse. I mean, it's 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 there and it's inspired, but it's never been one that I've thought about a whole lot and kind of just read past and don't think about it again after I've read it. But you, you do pick up there uh, Jesus being, like you've said, about his mission. So I appreciate you pointing and that out. I'm, I mean, you go from section to section or chapter to chapter, and it's just like every next section or new thing, it's he's going here or he's doing this. Or, and he's not just going from point A to point B, it's he's going from point A to point B teaching and 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 preaching. Yeah, and it's it's not as though um, we're very aware, and I'm sure many of you are very aware that, you know, one page is sometimes a, a day or a couple hours, and one page is sometimes a year in the Bible. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, that's just kind of how it is. But at the same time, there's him passing through from one city and village to another and teaching and proceeding on his way is, I mean, he's doing that daily. Like that is a constant thing that he's doing as he's traveling to Jerusalem. And this takes time. It's not like Jesus is going from city to city, going 70 miles an hour down the, down the road in his car. This, (laughs) we sometimes I've got to remind myself of the, what the world was like when Jesus was alive. They didn't have cars to, get from city to city super fast. Traveling was always on, on foot or or by animal, and it was a lot slower than what we'd travel today. So it's, it sets it into context a little bit more. As you keep reading, he's passing through from one city and one village to another, and constantly moving area to area was a lot of travel on foot and gave him a lot of opportunity to, to teach and preach along his way. And this is all part of his mission to preach the kingdom of God, which has been the focus, and it continues to be the focus as we uh, go down here a little further. Just after that, uh, someone comes to him and says, Lord, are there just a few who are being saved? Uh, There are a lot of people that need to read this passage. You think so? Yeah. Um. Go on. Uh, it just it 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 honestly makes me a little emotional. That's why I had to stop for a second. It honestly makes me a little emotional. How many people truly believe that just anybody is going to go to heaven, or everybody's going to go to heaven? Mm-hmm. And this is Jesus's response to the question: Strive to enter through the narrow door. For many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able. And then he says, which is really Jesus talking about when judgment day comes. Once the head of the house gets up and shuts the door, and you begin to stand outside and knock on the door, saying, Lord, open up to us. Then he will answer and say to you, I do not know where you are from. A truth that is 
almost forgotten or denied is that the path into the kingdom is narrow. And so I ask myself when I when I every time I read this, um, me and Jacob have talked about it prior to this, and we're going to talk about it now. And I want you all to ask this of yourselves: What keeps the many out of the narrow path? Or maybe uh, the better question to start with is: What makes the path narrow? Because Jesus says that we have to enter through the narrow door. And if we, though we may try, there's something that can keep us from entering the narrow door. This makes me think of when Jesus says that it is harder for a rich man to enter the, to enter the kingdom of God than for a camel to enter the eye of a needle. And I recently learned that in Jesus' time, there were, there were big, like, gate doors, uh, arch doors. And like that, at the entrance of a city? or Yeah, like in the walls. And that was actually considered... what? Well, and in that arch door that would open like two doors would open out Mm -hmm. there was a smaller door and there would be times where that that little smaller door was called a needle and there would be times where the camel would have to like take off everything they'd have to take off everything and try and like shimmy the camel through that door instead of opening the big gates to get the camel through. And that is likely what Jesus was referencing when he said it's harder for... Because it's not impossible for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. But in order for a rich man or anybody to enter the kingdom of heaven, like the camel, they have to shed their pride. They have to shed their burdens. They have to... There, there's a lot that has to be dropped and, and 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 shoved to the side in order to enter. Self-denial, I think, is something that trips up a lot of people when they're considering entering the kingdom or trying to enter because that's not a message that people like to hear. It's not a message that I like to hear, but it's just it's something that Jesus expects of us and wants of us and commands of us so it's not my job to like it it's my job to just be obedient so from that we know that at the very least the way is narrow because it demands self-denial but further than that we know that the scriptures in jesus says he is the way the truth and the life no one comes to the father except through him right there's only there's only one way, uh, as it's said in uh, Acts 4.12. I can't remember who spoke it. Luke wrote it, but there's only one name given to us by which we must be saved, that we can have salvation through, and that's the name of Jesus. So we're thinking about this idea of, well, what makes the door narrow? 
Well, if there's only one way to get to the Father in a world where there is hundreds of different religions that try to say, well, this is how you can be right with God or get get to heaven or get to whatever afterlife that the different religions believe in, out of the hundreds and hundreds of options, if there's only one that truly gets you back to God, I'd say that that has a lot to do with it being narrow. So the way is narrow because it demands faith to Jesus only. And even further beyond that, it is a it is narrow because it is it demands faith in the in Jesus the Jesus of the Bible. It demands faith in the Son of the true Son of God. And a lot of people want to say that just any church that says Jesus Christ is Lord, they're all going to heaven. <clears throat> if everybody that went to church in the world was going to heaven, that's the reality is is that's not a narrow pathway. Yeah. Um the second thing is not everybody that goes to church is a Christian. And the third thing is not every church worships Jesus Christ of the of the Bible of the word of God. They worship in a a idol a false idol Jesus that they have made up for themselves so that it tickles their ears. Mm. And so when we look back at this passage and Jesus says strive to enter through the narrow door. That's what he is talking about. These these this narrow path demands these things. And I like I like the idea there of striving. And that's something that we it to me when I to when I read that strive to enter through the narrow door, it se- it sets in this this message of being intentional and really putting forth a lot of hard work and effort to do so. Um, not that we need to uh, perform good works to go through the narrow door and earn a level of salvation or any salvation. That's not what I'm meaning or what Jesus was meaning when he says here to strive to enter through the narrow door, but it's something that we need to pay careful attention to. And it it, it kind of goes back to something we mentioned earlier, but there is this clear call for a commitment to meeting the heart of God through seeking him, and we do that through Jesus Christ. Moving on from there, uh, just a couple more things in this chapter that I think are uh, some key points. The first thing is, I think a lot of people will become very curious of this thing of Herod and why the Pharisees would would warn him when a lot many of the Pharisees most of the Pharisees did not like him. Um, and then Jesus' Jesus's response is a, a response of confidence, is what I'll call it. He calls Herod a fox. Um, for anybody that is, is unsure what Jesus is meaning by that, this is, this is 
if you think about the nature of a fox, it's it would be considered f- sly or or almost devious. Um, and so Jesus's comment about Herod is is calling him very sly. I'm, I'm kind of laughing because my mom is a babysitter, and so well she she recently stopped about a year ago, but. My whole life up until a year ago, mom was a babysitter, so there was always little kids around the house growing up. So because of that, I was uh, kind of exposed to a lot of cartoons all through growing up and made me think of uh, Swiper the Fox off of Dora. (laughs) He was always real sly in the background and always mischievous and up to no good. So that's that's why I started laughing at it and think you, like, you don't look funny. I just... (laughs) Well, I do. I, thought, I do look pretty. I funny, thought a swiper of the fox when you're talking about that. <laughs> um, so that that is Jesus's intention here. He's he's he says, "Go and tell that fox, that sly, devious person, no swiping." That, no, that's not what he said. And, and Jesus is yeah. No, he didn't say no swiping. Jesus is basically saying, "I am the Christ." And how true Jesus is the Christ. And and here's the way he says that. He says, he's the Christ because I cast out demons and perform cures and perform cures today and tomorrow and the third day and I reach my goal. Therefore, he is the Christ. And then he follows that statement with, I am not only the Christ, but my death is going to happen at the right time and in the right place. You have no control over that, Herod. No matter what you think you know, no matter what you say, no matter what power has been given to you by God, my death will happen at the right time and in the right place, and that right time and right place is in Jerusalem. And he says, O Jerusalem, O Jerusalem, or let me back up to verse 33. Nevertheless, I must journey on today and tomorrow and the next day, for it cannot be that a prophet would perish outside of Jerusalem. O Jerusalem, O Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who sent, those sent to her. How often I wanted to gather your children together just as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you would not have it. Behold, your house is left to you desolate, and I say to you, you will not see me until the time comes when you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. No man is going to thwart the will, the plan of God. And even though they have, as Jesus talks here, even though Israel, even though Many men have tried to to thwart the plans of God. Any, even though many men have rejected him as provider and protector, every every knee will bow one day, and that is really his response to them warning him Herod wants to kill you and so in thinking about this now this may have been a scare tactic of the Pharisees they want him to stop preaching so they're going to attempt to scare him by saying Herod wants to kill you yeah 
And his response is, no, no, I'm the Christ. And my, my kingdom is here. And I am here to accomplish my mission. And my death is not going to be to the hand of Herod. My death is going to be in Jerusalem at the right time. At the third day when he reaches his goal, and the whole point he came to the earth in the first place to seek and save the lost. And that's only going to be possible through the day he reaches his goal, which we will get to. And it is through that fulfillment. It is through the fulfillment of this prophecy that we come to know who Jesus Christ is fully, that we come to a restored relationship with God, that we become disciples of Jesus, and therefore have been called to go bear fruit for his kingdom. Absolutely. You got anything more? I think that'll be all for this episode. As usual, we want to thank you for listening. It's a, a genuine pleasure to be able to do this, to have the time to do this. Uh, we we made some stretches this week a little bit to do it, um, but that's okay. Uh, we want to wish you a happy Thanksgiving. Hopefully you were able to enjoy some time with family or friends or both. Um, and we hope that more than anything, you're thankful to God for Jesus Christ, our Lord. And it is for him that I tell you, go bear fruit and so prove to be one of his disciples. Disciples.